Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. He's full of grace. This is who God is, but this is the thing that's been lost in translation. This is the the truth about God that, that nobody really realizes. And that was the case when Jesus came. But listen, it's still the case today. Still today, people don't understand the fullness of God's grace, how gracious He is. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the Gospel of John. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, and 14 and 18, in a message titled, God for All to See. Now, here's Pastor Brian. So, as I mentioned, we've taken an extended look at these first number of verses. So, today, we're going to really drill down and look at verses 14 and 18, tie these verses together. And so, remember, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And all things were made by him. And without him, nothing was made. That was made. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That, in my mind, that is perhaps the most profound statement that has ever been declared. It is a statement that is so deep as to be ultimately beyond our ability to comprehend. You know, seriously, when you come to these passages, you're just like, Lord, how do I even begin to tap into the depths of what this is saying. But it's not just me who feels that way. It's everybody. Everybody who has ever meditated on the scripture, everyone who has ever, you know, taken it upon themselves to teach through these passages knows what it's like to feel overwhelmed with inadequacy. How can we even do justice to this? But here's the the consoling thing for the preacher. The consoling thing is that we're not alone. So I'm going to do my best, and the Holy Spirit will do his best. And so the things that need to be understood will come to us. So even though it's beyond our ability ultimately to comprehend it, to meditate on it, and to draw out as much as possible, as much as is possible for the finite mind uh, to grasp is surely something we should aspire to. You know, I wonder if we spend enough time just deep diving into God's word and meditating on it. I think about myself, I think about how much time I spend looking at other things, reading other things, investigating this and that and all. And 
all of that has, has a place for sure. But I've begun to feel lately that there's so much more depth to go with God. And I'm spending way too much time on these other things that, you know, in some ways, maybe even they're related to what I'm doing, but yet they're not the things that take you deep with the Lord. And what takes us deep with the Lord is to, is to just sit and think on these things. But we don't really live in a time that lends itself to sitting and thinking deeply about much of anything, do we? Everything is so fast and so busy and there's information coming at us from a million different directions. But these things are worthy of our deepest attention. And so, verse 14, the word became flesh. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh. The word was made flesh. The word took upon human, took upon himself human nature. The word became flesh. God became a human being. That's what verse 14 is telling us. Now, let's think about what this really meant. Because I think all of us, sometimes we fail to grasp the, the true humanity of Jesus. Now, you know, it's interesting. In the earliest days of the history of the church, because of the influence of Greek philosophy and the Greek philosophical idea that all, all, any, anything material was bad or negative, in the early days of the church, what they did is they sought to deny the humanity of Jesus. They said he wasn't a real person. He couldn't have been a, a real person because then he would have been material like us and material by by definition, is corrupt. Now, centuries and centuries and centuries pass, and we, in our time, I don't know that we give all that much thought about the humanity of Jesus, but there's been more of an assault against the deity of Jesus or the fact that he's God than the fact that he's a human being. So when you're reading in the New Testament and you come maybe to John's letter, actually at one point, John says, and who is Antichrist? He said, Antichrist is the one who denies that the Son of God came in the flesh. Wow. Denying that he came in the flesh. That, see, it's a, it's a different thing. So as, like I said, we would struggle more over the issue of his deity, the ancients wrestled with his humanity. But that's what John is saying. In the face of that pervasive philosophical idea that anything material was inherently evil, John says, no, the word became a human being. The word became flesh. So 
Let's think about what that really meant. Let, let's think about first what God could have done and then what he actually did do. So think about this. So God is going to become a man. That's his plan. He could have just spoken a human body into existence. Probably like he did in the Old Testament period when he would appear in the form of a man. Now, if you go back to Genesis chapter 18 and 19, you have this really interesting encounter between Abraham and Yahweh. And Abraham is there. He's sitting in his tent in the heat of the day. He sees three men coming toward him. And he ultimately prepares a meal for them, has a conversation with them. One of them is Yahweh. One of them is the Lord. So he, he's there in a bodily form. So this is uh, sometimes called a theophany. Theophany is an appearance of God in human form. And so here was the case. God appeared to Abraham in human form. So Jesus could have done that, um, or he could have fashioned a body out of dust, just like he had originally done with Adam, and placed himself there within that body as a fully mature man. So the Genesis account of creation, God uh, forms out of the dust of the earth the first man and breathes into his nostrils the breath of life and man becomes a living being. And so God could have done that as well, but he didn't do that. He didn't do that. He actually put himself through the whole human experience. That's the mind-blowing thing. He put himself through the whole human experience from an embryo to a fully developed babe in the womb to a completely vulnerable and dependent newborn whose first bed was a feeding trough and whose first visitors were sheep herders, whose earthly parents were from among the poorer class, who grew up in an ordinary family with younger brothers and sisters and who from a young age would work laboring with his hands as a carpenter. Nobody in the ancient world, Jew or non-Jew, would have ever believed that if God was going to come into the world, he would come like this. No one would ever believe that. It just seems like... I mean, even to this day, if you talk to a Jewish person and you press into the deity of Christ, of course, the Jews have the problem of not denying the, the humanity of Christ. They deny the deity. But if you try to press into a Jewish person with the deity of Christ, they, they scoff at the idea. It, but they, they scoff with, with indignation because you're saying that the great and incomprehensible God became a baby? It's offensive to them. But that's what we're told. 
the word became flesh. When he was 30 years of age, he would embark upon an itinerant preaching ministry that would draw thousands to follow him. Some would deeply love and devote themselves to him. One that he invested in would betray him. One that he dearly loved would deny him. The rich and powerful would envy and hate him, and the corrupt rulers of his nation would falsely condemn and kill him. That is what it would mean for the word to become flesh. He became one of us. One writer put it like this. He has himself gone through the whole of human experience from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money to the worst pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. When he was a man, he played the man. He was born in poverty and died in disgrace. So when we read the word became flesh, that's what we're to understand. He became one of us. Isn't it true that even though the Bible tells us like something like this, um, we do not, speaking of Jesus, using the the picture of Jesus as the high priest, says um, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses but was in all points tested as we are. So therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain help and find, uh, or that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So even though we're told that, isn't it true that often we, we still somehow think of the Lord as being detached in such a way that he doesn't really understand what we go through. But what, what verse 14 wants us to know is that he does understand what we go through. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Um, just a quick note, the word dwelt could be translated pitched his tent. Or sometimes you use the word tabernacle. A tabernacle is a tent. He tabernacled among us. He pitched his tent among us. So he came, in other words, and he lived just like we live. And then John says, we beheld his glory. We beheld his glory. Now remember, and of course we're going to see that as we get beyond this prologue into the rest of the story, This beholding of his glory is progressive. They don't really understand initially exactly who they're even dealing with. But as the story unfolds, they begin to see more clearly. So finally, when everything culminates, they look back and they say, oh, that's why that happened. That's what that meant. We beheld his glory. So how did they behold his glory? Well, they beheld his glory in that they saw his power over nature. 
He demonstrated his glory in his power over nature. The very first miracle that Jesus did was to turn water into wine. And we'll come to that when we get to the second chapter. We read about Jesus standing in the bow of of the little boat that was about to go under because the storm on the sea was so ferocious. And what does he do? He cries out, peace, be still, and the storm is calmed. He feeds thousands of people with a couple of fish and a few loaves of bread. So you see, in all of these things, John says, we beheld his glory. He had absolute authority over the demonic powers. People who were held bound by by the demonic forces and could not be liberated through any human effort, Jesus, with a simple word, set them free. And so they beheld his glory in his power over nature. They beheld his glory in his compassion for suffering humanity. This was part of his glory, his compassion. This is not anything that anybody was really betting on at the time. I mean, they they understood in an abstract way, and maybe because they had the historical records that God would be compassionate and so forth. He said he was merciful and compassionate, but they didn't know the half of it. But they beheld the glory of his compassion when he came healing the afflicted. Remember, he gave sight to the blind and to those who couldn't walk he healed them. To those who couldn't hear, he restored their hearing. To the lepers who were sentenced to a life of exile because of their condition, he cleansed them. Even to the dead, he raised them. So when John says, we beheld his glory, And then the glory of his person. Remember the story where John is actually there and he sees Jesus transfigured. He sees Jesus who looked just like one of them, one of us. But then suddenly he's there on that mountain and Moses and Elijah appear with him and suddenly the glory of who he is in his divinity, it breaks through. So they see, they behold his glory in the transfiguration. They behold his glory in the resurrection. That although he had died, he had power, glorious power over death. He came back to life. They saw his glory when he ascended before them into heaven. So when he says we beheld his glory, those are some of the things that John would be thinking about. But then he says that he was full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. The glory is of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth full of grace. 
Now, in the time that this was written, remember the, the scene in Israel at the time. You had the common people and then you had the, the leaders. And the leaders were generally religious because, of course, this is a, a religious community. This is a people of God. And so these various religious leaders, whether they be the Pharisees or the Sadducees or the Essenes or the Zealots were even, they were motivated, they were like nationalists. So, so these are the ones who uh, are sort of up on a plane above the average common person representing God. In, in, if you looked at any one of those groups that I just mentioned, and you could throw the Herodians in there. They're all distinct from one another, but they're all similar. None of them, you would have never looked at a single one of them and had the word grace come to mind. That was not part of who they were because it wasn't part of what they thought about God. But John says, Jesus came full of grace. And again, remember, John is writing all this after the fact. And John's going to tell a story after story of the grace, the grace that nobody would have even dreamed of. Who would have ever dreamed that God's grace would extend to a Samaritan woman to the point that Jesus would reveal to her that he was the Messiah, which he hadn't revealed to anybody else. If Jesus is going to reveal his Messiahship, it's not going to be to a Samaritan. Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. There's racial tension between them. Who would have ever dreamed that a woman could be brought and cast down who was caught in the act of adultery and deserving to be stoned and yet have Jesus not stone her, not agree to anyone stoning her, but forgiving her and sending her on her way. You see, when John says full of grace and truth, John's thinking in his mind about what he experienced, what he saw. So Jesus, it's from him that the fullness of God's grace toward us flows. I love the way A.W. Tozer pictured this. He said, the penitent will find him merciful. The self-condemned will find him generous and kind. To the frightened, he is friendly. To the poor in spirit, he is forgiving. To the ignorant, considerate. To the weak, gentle. To the stranger, hospitable. Wow. Full of grace. Full of grace and truth. Think of that woman who was brought by those leaders and cast down at the feet of Jesus. Do you think she was afraid? She was afraid for her life. Do you think she was ashamed? Oh, how ashamed she would have been. Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled Basic Christianity by John Stott. In our increasingly global culture, 
Issues of social justice are frequently headlined in all the major news outlets, but one universal topic is just as frequently avoided, the universal ramifications of the unpopular subject, sin. Sin has enslaved all humanity, and the imagery of slavery appropriately captures the effects that sin has upon all of us. It destroys relationships, families, societies, and nations. Sin affects every social structure within our global culture, and the Bible only gives one hope for the abolition of the consequences of sin. And John Stott presents this hope clearly in this month's resource. If you have recognized the consequences of sin in your own life and are longing for freedom from both its grasp and its consequences, or if you know somebody who has, you need to get this month's resource from Back to Basics. The book Basic Christianity by John Stott is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we begin a new series in the Gospel of John. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.